Let's do it, man. Awesome. Yeah, man. I don't even know who you are. Like, I've never <laughs> met you before. You never met me. No. But your, pod, your podcast is awesome. I was I listening see. to that this morning. What's that called? Best Damn Agency Podcast? Best Damn Agency Podcast. Gotcha. And let's just make one thing clear. I want to make sure the listeners all know before we really start going here. What are your your pronouns? <laughs> Entrepreneur and dad. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like those ones. Yeah, that's mine, mine. On, on Instagram, if you go on my Instagram, I have like, I have four of them. It's like... As you should. It, I mean, it why limit near, Zier. Oh, and then oh the the fourth one because you can only have maximum four is a uh, thon. Ooh, thon's know. good. That's a new one. I like that one. That sounds yeah. almost promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. So I, no, I, I just appreciate it, it. like if we if we establish these guidelines. No, you know, I think like, it's respectful during, during our call. Like yeah, like if we could just <laughs> you know maintain this level of respect and yes, uh, you and, know address um, each other correctly. That would be handsome was it my third. I didn't want to you know. Gotcha. I don't want to be aggressive with too many, but handsomes, yeah. I'd like you to address me as such. Gotcha. Well, handsome. That sounds weird. <laughs> How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. It's always good to start the day with pronouns. Yeah. So yeah. I'm good. We're a lot going on in our world. Hard yeah. decisions, good Tell decisions, everybody. bad ones. Yeah. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm Joey. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I live on a big-ass ranch in the middle of East Tennessee. People are like, how big is big? Like 10 acres? Like, no, like 70 acres. I live in like a real ranch, has real animals. So that's who I am outside of work. As it relates to work, I run a couple different companies. My main company is called Apex Revenue. We are essentially a fractional VP of sales company. So we get hired to build sales operations, lead sales operations, staff sales operations. Best damn agency mastermind, which is an agency or a seven and eight figure agency mastermind. So everybody that's in there is doing between 2 million and 20 million top line revenue agency CEO. And then we're about to launch scale to seven, which is the same exact thing, but for those who are not quite to the seven, eight figures. Mm, I see. Is the goal to like kind of get them to graduate maybe to the higher level? Almost like, yeah, I almost want to like build my seven and eight figure mastermind pipeline by creating them. Like I want to create my future clients in a lot of ways. That's a good idea. Thanks, man. I might've thought of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear more offline about some of your some of your masterminds. I'm in one right now called uh, called, Cli- called Client Ascension. Oh yeah, which, that's yeah. I literally just got introduced to them yesterday. Someone made an intro to Daniel and Andre. I think so. Yep, yep. Yeah, cool. Andre. So I talked to him yesterday. I've known him for a few years, and uh, pretty impressive to see what he's built there. Daniel's uh, killing like the Twitter that. game. Daniel's killing the Twitter game. I I, I don't. Re- I've never talked with him in real time, but I did earn a. I got a follow from him last week. Hey, that's last a big Friday. deal. I posted. I, no, I didn't. I almost posted that in the Winds channel <laughs> in the Mastermind, asking yeah. if I should follow him back. But he seems like anyway. a sharp guy. I haven't followed him much at all, but he's he's sharp in the cold email space. Obviously, his hair gets me every I think, time. Like, dude, change the hair. Yeah. Outside of that, I respect you a ton. No, no, he's he's wearing like a cutoff shirt. Like, yeah, it yeah. <laughs> is like a, like a just looks like like a frat guy, and I respect it. Totally, I totally respect yeah, dude. it. Respect the yeah. the cloth, the hair yeah. cloth fold over. Yeah. A lot of power. So, it's like Samson. Yeah. So you're obviously like, you know, you're a very laid back guy. You know, I listen to your podcast. You guys are just like shooting the shit, like mm-hmm. just having fun and drinking whiskey and like That's right. just talking business. And I I respect that too. Like, who are you really outside of yeah. 
business. I mean, I think people can kind of get a little bit of a picture by hearing you and hearing that yeah. description I just said, but really, who are you, man? Yeah, like I'm a I'm a typical visionary in business. I'm also mm. that outside of it, you know. So like I I like to build, I like to create, and that bleeds into my personal life too. So I'm I'm always tinkering or, you know, that's why I bought this farm. Like, dude, I bought these beautiful 70 acres and they're yeah. just like left alone. And so now I'm just like, oh, what can I I want to build pickleball courts. I want to, you know, I want to have horses and llamas and mini donkeys and any sheep out there. Not yet, but there, there will be sheep. Nice. They will come. Build it, and they will come. No, man, I'm I, I'm big time family guy. So I got a I got a three year old, and I've got one in the oven. So number two is coming in October. And uh, you know, for me, I'm I'm a laid back dude. Like I just I love living on my ranch. I shoot guns, drink bourbon. Actually, I'm kind of sober right now, but I love I collect bourbon. I should say. Mm-hmm. No, that's not to say I don't drink. I had a you know, I had a beer this weekend. I had a, a beer the Let's weekend. Let's be honest, before. you had a spike seltzer. <laughs> we all get it. No, I didn't. I had. I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm, so I'm in. I'm in Montenegro right now. I'm actually on a on a ranch. Oh no well. way! There's sheep. There's sheep Dude, all around. Croatia is my jam. Olive trees. Yeah, Croatia. So Croatia is just like a way more expensive version of Montenegro. Yep. It's like I the same. Kotor. Is that how you say it? Kotor. Kotor. Oh, so you've been there. Wow. Oh, I've been yeah, there, Kotor dog. Bay is like, it's the most beautiful, beautiful area in the world, in my opinion. I had lunch in a little baby village right before you get to Kotor, yeah. which is called Paris. Parish? Parast, yes. Yeah, Paris. but there. Yeah. The fishing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the fish was amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, big fan. Big fan of that part of the world. We're actually going to go to Croatia, I believe, in May. May or early June. Nice. Did you take any, when you were in Kotor Bay, did you do any of the hikes there? We did one, the hike up that little like, fortress or whatever is right there above i forget what it's called but the um, one hike that day they call i think it's called the the ladder but it's really like it, the wall you climbed up the yeah, wall exactly yeah we climbed the wall on the wall we we're only the there for two days because we spent two weeks in croatia and we made we made a, a, a two-day trip out of out of that to go over to montenegro mm. beautiful place man super dirt yeah. cheap which is crazy mm. Yeah. Croatia's cheap too. I mean, compared to like Italy or, or some of the other European countries. Totally. I freaking love Croatia, man. It's my favorite place on earth. Yeah. It's a cool part of the world. I'm curious <laughs> when you went to when you went to Kotor, you didn't stay inside the city walls, did you? I did actually. Oh, dude. Yeah. I like there it's cramped in there. Like I feel it was a little like no it was matter, a little crowded. No matter how much money you have, like I couldn't find anywhere on Airbnb like more expensive than $66 a night. So like, you know, I paid for something that was $60 a night and it was like, it looked nice in the pictures, but man, like obviously everything's ancient. It's super cramped. It's, it smells bad. Like I, I would never stay in the city walls again. I canceled that reservation. Like uh, the second I got there, the second I got (laughs) there and we went somewhere else. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even remember where we stayed. That it was, it was okay. It had a good view. It was so it was inside yeah. the walls, but it was kind of perched up on a on a hill, like towards the the, the wall that you climb. Whatever. That was our jam. I think I spent like sixty six bucks. Literally, what you said. Yeah. Cool, man. So it was a good time. So tell but my opinion on alcohol. Yeah. Back to that question. Uh, it's meant to keep you down. Yeah, like I've I have a a long history with drugs, opioids specifically. Mm. And uh, I've been sober of that for 15 years, 14 years. But I had a little little run in there with with opioids and oxycotton for a nice season, and, and so I have a naturally addictive personality. But alcohol's never really been something I've been out of control with. I think when I kind of kicked opioids, you know, there's always been that like 
desire to, I mean, it's a hell of a drug, let's be honest, but it doesn't help you in any way. So for me, I just kind of try to steer clear of getting too deep down any rabbit hole. And I've kind of learned, I got into craft beer for a while when it really hit the scene 10 years ago. And mm. then I just don't like the way beer makes me feel personally. Mm. You know, I just kind of, mm-hmm. I get, I get a bloated feeling my face fills up with water and I look like a fat kid for, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a large human being. <laughs> most You can't tell on camera, but I'm a big dude, 6'3", 250 pounds. But I like bourbon a ton. I like bourbon and I like Añejo tequila. Those are kind of my go-tos. And I'm a sipper. I like to, mm. I'd rather go buy a $500 bottle and sip on it than, than go throw down like a Jose Cuervo or something yeah. like that. That's my jam. Do you, what do you find, like what's the benefit for you? Like what do you find it does for you? It doesn't do anything for me. Outside of, I, I enjoy, I've learned the art of like the palate of bourbon. You know, I live in Tennessee, mm. so I don't live far from bourbon country. And so like t- doing taste testing and things of that nature, I really enjoy it. I've kind of learned to like pull out different notes and like, you know, you listen to like those wine sommeliers who are like, mm, I taste a wet tennis ball from the 70s. Right. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but I can definitely taste the cherry or whatever you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not tasting, you know, native deodorant in this like you are, but I can, I could taste the wood or whatever you're talking about. So I, I've learned to at least appreciate bourbon in that nature. But I, honestly, man, I don't miss it. I've, I've been sober for three months now. Sober meaning I haven't even drank alcohol at all. I don't really drink to get drunk. It's just not my thing. When I do, I just go ham. It takes a lot to get me drunk. I'm a big dude, so it's like mm-hmm. it takes me like six drinks to like even feel anything. And then I feel awful the next day if I even do that. So it's become less and less of a part of my life. I've stopped collecting and buying and just kind of, I just like to drink water yeah. and try to take my health a little more serious. Yeah, dude. I'm all about, all about water. And the, the, yeah, the reason water's I actually brought things. up Montenegro, it's, this is the, this is the beer. It's called Nixitsko. Nixitsko. It's in yep. like a green can. It's pretty cool. You probably have. I've had, actually, I had it. I had it when I was there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. It's, good. it's like malty, a little yeah. light, malty. It's good. Yeah. But so now let's talk business a little. I lay off it. Let's talk business. Yeah, yeah. It's like where does your entrepreneurial journey start? About six years ago. So wow, I was only six in, years. Yeah. So I was in the sales world. So right out of college, I actually went into ministry. Right out of college for for a year, and I was in full time ministry on a college campus at the University of Tennessee for all of one year. Crushed it. And then I felt the pull to business. You know, I, I got introduced to, I mean, as being a part of ministry, like you actually, I raised my income. So like I, I support raise. So I was doing sales without it actually being sales. And so I got to meet a ton of people through networking, shaking hands, kissing babies. And as I did that, I got to meet some pretty influential people who were like, hey, if you ever decide to leave ministry, then, you know, uh, I've got some intros I can make for you to have some pretty cool roles. And I was like, Cool. Not interested. And then like towards the end of the first year, I was like, ah, just, this just isn't for me. I feel called to be in business and make an impact there. And I just, you know, like there's almost like this, I felt this, this sounds weird to some people, especially if you come from like a faith background. I felt this, this calling to be wealthy, mm-hmm. um, not from like a self-centered, I want to build this kingdom up for myself. I guess you can call our seven acre ranch that maybe, but just like, I feel like they're senders and there's people who go, there's people who send. And, and I felt like that money, although I think in the faith community can often be frowned upon, like it's, the, it's, I mean, it keeps the damn thing running, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, and so I felt like I felt called to, to build and create and, 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 uh, and become wealthy. And yeah. And so that was what I kind of set off to do. Got thrown into the sales world, got handed a lot of responsibility really fast, had a lot of success, had a lot of failure 
learned pretty quickly. Went to the Fortune 100 world, got into a leadership role in a particular unit of that business, learned a lot, took a VP of sales job after that for a small consulting firm, took a VP of sales job after that for a digital marketing agency. And then I never left the agency space after that. After, mm-hmm. after I was the VP of that job, I was kind of on an equity track at that company. That conversation kind of died at some point and just he wasn't going to honor it. And so I was like, well, I'm making this guy a ton of money. So why don't I go make myself some money? Mm-hmm. And, and then I went off on my own. And yeah. uh, that was about six years ago. Started a company that became known as Tribe Outbound. Tribe Prospecting and then Tribe Outbound. Built that company. Built it to you know lower to mid seven figures. Sold it. Uh, about three years ago, a little less than three. And uh, it was a terrible acquisition, to be quite honest. Usually mm. you think about, oh, I exited Why? for yeah. seven figures. I'm so curious. Yeah. Because when you Earn exit... Out, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, <laughs> sold for, for 2.4, which is probably an undervaluation, but I was so tired of running the business. So sold for 2.4. 50% upfront, 50% earnout. So I got to see 1.2 on the front. You pay a broker's fee. So there's 120 grand there. So now you're under a million or close to a million. And then you pay bonuses to your team. And then after your bonuses, you get taxed. And so after a $2.4 million exit, you're left with about 700 grand. Mm-hmm. Not a bad day, right? Like I'm not going to complain about making that much money, but the earnout never worked out. It was a, As it usually doesn't. As it ever does. And I knew that. I didn't know that going into it. Someone told me that. I was like, yeah, that's you, not me. Right. And then I did my thing. And then I was like, no, no, that's kind of like a universal truth. Earnouts are meant for you to fail. And and so within three months, the the company who bought us basically sunsetted the company, tore it all to pieces, and was like, hey, Whoa. never mind. And so, but the cool part was it they freed me of my my non-competes and my non-solicitations and all that. And so I got to go back to building another company. And that's what ended up becoming what is now my main company, Apex Revenue, which is much bigger than hmm. that company was back then. So is it are you doing kind of the same thing that you did with Tribe Outbound? Is it the same kind of company? No, so Tribe was a I mean you there there's a thousand of them now. More than a thousand. There's ten thousand of these outsourced sales agencies, right? Lead gen Lead shops. Gen agency. They do yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, you did it at the right I was time. really early. I was really early on that. I just, I've always been really early with my hunt. Like, of this is the thing. Like, even like the agency mastermind thing, I was early on building a mastermind. And so I've always been somewhat early. That's the visionary side of me. And so when I started Tribe, it was those didn't exist because all the automation tools didn't exist. Like, LinkedIn was just becoming a thing. And so I was early and then I got out at the right time because it got saturated. And then now we run a fractional VP of sales company called Apex Revenue. So what we do is essentially a formerly known as sales driven agency. What we do is we come in and instead of you leasing your growth with a with a lead gen agency where mm-hmm. you know if they go away, everything goes away. You don't have control over it. And I know that because I ran the mm-hmm. company. Nowadays we say, hey, if you were to go hire a VP of sales, what should they do for you? They should build your entire sales operation. They should hire your salespeople. They should train your salespeople. They should lead and manage your salespeople. And so we do that for them on a fractional model. So, hey, we come in, we build your sales operation. You own it. We build out your hiring system and help you hire salespeople. You own that. You own the salespeople. They're your W-2s. And all we do fractionally that is least is we manage. So we will yeah. sit on top of and lead and manage your sales operation. So that is our model. Dude, I, let me let me comment here. I love that model. I've only been seeing it recently you know there's obviously the traditional lead gen agency model but i I think the better way to go about it i I never thought it as you know you're leasing your what'd you say leasing your lease your growth 
Lease your growth. Yeah. By hiring a lead mm-hmm. gen agency. So I don't, I, I obviously we both know dozens or hundreds and hundreds of lead gen agency owners. We know a lot of them and a lot of them are very good, especially, you know, performance based mm-hmm. ones. Like, yeah, they're, they're yeah. good, you know, but a lot of them suck, but I More really like this new, yeah, for sure. I, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say, I'd say 90, 85 to 90% of them aren't very good. Yep. But anyway, the new, this new model that I've been seeing recently. So I know somebody, my friend Dylan Rich, who I don't know if you know him, but he's basically staffing, he's staffing your company with SDRs. Then I have another friend. Yeah. Then I have another friend named Sam and he staffs your company with account executives, much higher price points. He'll he'll staff you with account executives, sales leadership. And then there's you. Mm-hmm. You'll build out the whole thing. The whole shit. It sounds baby. like, yeah, yeah. That's probably yeah, like a hundred or three hundred thousand dollar engagement, probably. It's expensive for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we yeah. you don't need to don't, don't need different... to do a pricing reveal. <laughs> nah, but it's. I mean, it's. I don't mind. I mean, it's a six figure contract usually, about one twenty on the on the average end, but usually one eighty probably. Yeah. But uh, we're actually what's fair, cool man. is. Yeah, I mean it, it is because our whole value prop is you can go hire a VP of sales. You'll pay him one hundred eighty thousand dollars base salary plus benefits plus commissions and bonuses. Plus they're going to go have to hire their vendors of their recruiting firms and their tech vendors and all that kind of stuff. You're going to spend four hundred grand over the course of the next twelve years or twelve months before you even hire sales reps. I mean that's not including their their, their salary. And so we're saying, hey, you can we'll do it, and we have teams for everything, so we can do everything in about a quarter of the time, and, and we'll do it for a third of the price. So quarter of the time, third yeah. of the price, and we do this all day, every day. So you know we're going to do it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's kind and of then when does the mastermind come into the picture? So that came in about a year into sales-driven agency, now Apex Revenue. About a year in, I was like, I always said no to the mastermind model. I was like, mm-hmm. I make way more money doing other things. Mastermind is not the highest leverage thing I can be doing. But I had I started to build a big audience in the agency space specifically. had a podcast that was just kind of like shits and giggles, fun. As you, as you mentioned, it's just more like a, a place to unwind and, and have fun and talk business a little bit. But over the years, developed a, a pretty decent following in the agency space. And they always talked about, like, I just always got asked about like a group or a sales training group for agencies or, you know, masterminds, obviously. And I was like, I just don't want to do a mastermind, dude. Like, I'm just not that guy. And so I, I always told myself if I was going to do a mastermind, I would, it would have to be about far more than than the dollars because I can make way more dollars elsewhere. And so it became pretty evident to me that once I got like my, my house in order, right? I live on my dream property. I've got everything that I want. The businesses are, are doing well. Um, I was like, well, there, there's still that weird philanthropic slash impact, you know, existential. I want to do more with my life than just make money and build businesses. Community building. It's fulfilling. It is. Establishing it's huge. A, a community of peers. Yeah. And so that was a lot of us I don't have me, that today. Correct. And, and when I started the mastermind, I said, I'm going to do it my way. Like, I don't give a shit about whatever. Else. Can I cuss on here? Sorry. Not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I don't give a shit about like what other masterminds do, how they do things. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And if anyone tells me otherwise, then I'm not going to do this. And so I said, I want to do a mastermind that's the most expensive in the space because I want people to truly be invested. I don't want to just talk about business. I want to talk about who you are at home. I want to talk about wealth building outside of just your agency. Um, 
and, and I want to be, I want to have a, a, a vulnerable place where you feel like when you show up, it's not this stiff networking thing. It's like, no, these are my brothers. And that was the last mm. part was I want it to be male only. Mm. Um, I was like, Hey, I, I don't care about what you think, especially in this, this political environment we have where like everything's about equality. It's like, it, this has nothing to do with equality. It has everything yeah, to do with my yeah. convictions. I'm a traditionalist. And so like, I believe that the man leads the family and the man, yep. like strong Absolutely. men is what creates strong in countries and societies. Yeah. And so weak men do the, the, the opposite. And so for me, I have a passion about developing male leaders um, and not just male leaders in business, but male leaders at home. Who are you as a as an entrepreneur and as a business leader? Sure. But who are you as a husband? Who are you as a father? Who are you as a community contributor? And so I told myself, like, if I'm going to build this thing, like, that's going to be at the core. And if that's not something you're interested in, then this just isn't for you. So hopefully, you know, I've got a, a, a kid in the oven. Hopefully it's a girl. I want a girl. Very much care about girls, you know, having opportunities in life as, as much, but it's just not my passion. So I've yeah. caught flack for it. And you don't have to, you don't have to defend have, yourself, man. You don't, no, and I, and I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like at the end of the day, it's, it's more or less like, hey, here's my conviction. This is what's fun. And it's what I'm passionate about. And so I've caught flack for it, but it's like, this is my business. So if you mm-hmm. want to start a mastermind and include women, like, hell yeah, dude, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The one that I'm in, we were talking about client ascension earlier, and yours is, I don't want to put a label on it, but yours kind of sounds similar as well. That's just what it is. Yep. Hope I don't offend you by saying that. But anyhow. No. Um, yeah. So like, you know, client ascension is like, I say it's like 97, 98% male. Dudes. You know, females aren't not allowed. Sure. But just it, not common. It does work out that way. Well, and that's the well. funny thing about it is we have like very strict criteria about your business too. Like you got to be a certain size mm-hmm. business. And like just statistically speaking, if you look at the agency space and you look at the criteria of at least two million in revenue, there's just not a ton of chicks that are doing that. Right. And it's right, right. disproportionate amount of dudes in this space and disproportionate amount that are are ambitious enough to go build a seven or eight figure business. And so yeah. even if I wanted to, I probably wouldn't attract many. Yeah. yeah. I like what you said a lot about, and I, I feel it the same way. I believe in this as well, you know, just traditional family values. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my, my wife, you know, I'm not married yet. I have a girlfriend definitely headed that way though, but nice. you know, it's not my intention for her to be working <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, while trying to like raise children you know, my mother was a nurse and when she had, so she had me and then you know, three, four years later, three and a half years later came about four, came my little brother. And that's when she quit her job. I was four years old. And, mm. and then, so at the second child, she, she quit and had a lot of, a lot of time for us. And that was, that was really a, a nice thing to have a mother at home all the time. Yeah. And, so, and that's yeah. what my wife wanted, you know, like, and that's, that's what I wanted for our family. I mean, dude, you know how gangster this is? I walked down the other day and uh, my wife is reading a book called The Hidden Art of Homemaking. That's gangster. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. her calling. She, her energy is freed up. Her freed up to focus on that. She raises my you know, kids. You don't like. Yeah, exactly. Like if it, if you're not, if you're working and she's mm-hmm. working, who's raising your Someone children? else's. And like, I get that there are families who just can't afford to have mm-hmm. to be at home. And I get that. I'm sympathetic. But at the same time, I also think it's the man's obligation 
to put their family in the best position to be successful. Totally. And so I think that if that is the case, you better be working your ass off to, to let your wife go home and raise your kid. Cause otherwise if you guys don't, someone else will. And we already know how that's going. Yeah. I have so many, I have a lot of philosophy on that. We don't have to go there, mm. but that's, it's a fun topic. Yeah. Got a few more questions for you. What about like any epic failures in the past six years since you started your entrepreneurial journey where you think like, fuck, like, this sucks. Oh, yeah. Hard to continue. I am I cut out for this entrepreneurial life. Like, what moments have come up? Yeah, I've. Well, I mean, the exit. I think I, I learned a lot in that. You know, I, I, so to to the last question you asked on that string of questions was I I've never thought that entrepreneurial life wasn't for me since I've started it. I've just known after I learned to bank on myself. There's no way I could not do this. Right. So that's, that's at least ingrained in me at this point. But I do think that there are certainly, and I'm probably one of the more driven individuals when I want something, I just go figure out a way to to get it done. But I think there's been plenty of times where like as a visionary, I have had ideas that I think are amazing ideas or, or I start building something. I have a massive, if, if you've ever taken the Colby personality assessment, there's a a number on the Colby called the quick start. Like, what are you one to 10 quick start? I'm, I'm out the, off the charts. So like when I have an idea, I just start moving. And the challenge with that is there's two areas where I, th- I think I failed the biggest in my, my six years is one skimping on talent is, is the first thing that I've, I've done wrong. I think that I have learned that I'd rather pay someone three times as much. who can do the job and not need to be handheld then try to find the best deal possible to fill the seat. Yeah, That's my number one. Bargain. Yeah, bargain hunters. And I did that with Tribe. You know, no bueno. I think that was my problem. Was And the reason I started to hate my business towards the end when I ended up selling it was I just hated the I hated the environment I created. I feel like I had to hold hands with everyone. Like, hey, let me help you do your job. Whereas now it's like, no, I'd rather pay someone $130,000 a year to just do the job well. Mm. and not have to hold your hand and you take personal accountability for the success or the failure of this project or this client or whatever. And so that's the first thing cuz that that led to a cluster of of mishaps and yeah. Um, Question for you. Not not to like derail here but I'm curious specifically about people taking responsibility for the success or failure of of in their role. Like, mm-hmm. is there anything incentive-wise that you do to create that in them or are you just, you know, they just have it innately. Like, it's a core. That? So we actually, we have four core values as a company. And the second core value on our core value list is own your shit. So it just literally means that if you've ever watched my podcast on YouTube, I always had a own your shit in older episodes. I had to own your shit neon sign behind me. So it's kind of like a motto of ours. It's like, I just believe in extreme ownership and personal freedom requires personal responsibility. And so I think mm-hmm. that, Hey, if you want to make the money you want to make and you want to have the freedom you want to have, and you don't want me to have vacation policies, you don't want me to have, you know, requirements for where you have to be and win. Like it requires you to have personal responsibility and do your damn job and do it well because you want to, because you, because you desire excellence. So first of all, it comes down to making those core values a, a staple or a, a pillar of your hiring process of like making them very clear on what they are and what, the, what that mm. means. So that's the first thing I think is, is not even from an incentive perspective. It's just, do you, do you align with this first and foremost? Cause if I'm going to hold, yeah. if, if you don't align with this, then me trying to hold you accountable to it, it's pointless. But if you do, then, then I have something that I can actually hold up in front of you and say, Hey, you're not living out 
you know, these four core values or own your shit specifically or, or be a giver or, or have a why or make it better. Right. So mm-hmm. I can keep them accountable to that, but from an incentive perspective, like we actually have a, um, we have a, I don't know if you watch like football or anything, but like in, in the college mm-hmm. sports, they have like the, the turnover chain or like the turnover mm-hmm. trophies or whatever. We created this like massive, like 10 pound gold plated chain that has our core values on it that we'll literally just mail to whoever won it for that month. Mm-hmm. Um, that's funny. So that's kind of fun. So there's like an own your shit award. And then we'll also, there, we do bonus based off as well. Every quarter we do what we call a 2A assessment, which stands for attitude and aptitude. Attitude is like hunger, desire, and ambition. Do they still get up every day and want it in their job? Do they know what it takes to be successful? Do they want it? We also have core values. So our core values are lined out and it's either gaining ground, neutral, or losing ground. Green, yellow, red. And we have this, I built an internal software for our team, but we market as green. Great. They're living out the core value. They're driven. They know their roles and responsibilities are successful there. If it's yellow, it's like, eh, not sure, but they're not losing ground. And then losing ground, it's like, hey, they're they're actually not living this out. So every yeah. quarter, we 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 do a, an analyzer of every person on the team, all those different criteria. And then from there, we actually make decisions on hiring and, or bonusing and firing. So mm-hmm. if you're not living it out and we don't see a clear path to you fixing it anytime soon, then we terminate you. If you are living it out, then we bonus you. Mm. Yeah, it's really insightful. That's I feel it. like we could have a whole conversation, like a whole another hour conversation about just building a, an organization the way that mm-hmm. you do. Like, I'm so curious about the way you go about building an organization, but we will keep people wanting more. Yeah. We will save that for another time, <laughs> another conversation, another day. Encore. Uh, the last question that I've got for you, Joey, and before that, I want to make sure people can find you online. I sure. already said Best Damn Agency Podcast. It's a really good podcast. Specifically, I, there's a lot of episodes on sales and building sales mm-hmm. teams. And so there's a lot of good resources there. Where else can people find you? Yeah. So our main place is apexrevenue.com. It'll probably redirect you to salesdrivenagency.com for now. We actually had our site got hacked mm-hmm. recently. So we're just now getting the process of fixing all that. But apexrevenue.com is the main one. Pretty active on LinkedIn. Try to be active on Twitter. It's just freaking hard. Dude, um, there's big opportunity. I can't believe you're not active on Twitter. There's huge opportunity for you on there, man. Let me tell you all about it sometime. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. I know that I mean I know that the client ascension guys basically built their whole business off of off of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say Twitter at Joe Gilkey and then LinkedIn's just LinkedIn. Joe Gilkey. I think it's yeah. forward slash I N forward slash Joe Gilkey yeah. or something like that. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Of course. My last question that I've got for you, any like two or three or even one golden rule of life or business that you've learned along your journey? Yeah, I got plenty, but I'll try to consolidate. Everything's your fault. If you have that mindset that everything's your fault, then you maintain the power to change the situation. I believe that if you point fingers and have blame on anyone else, then you are handing over the power to change. Because you have basically stated that they can impact uh, your outcomes and how you act, which therefore means that you don't, you can't take ownership of changing it. So it's a pretty dismal place to be. So the first one is is probably that. The second one is is a famous quote that I think I love, which is the man who thinks he can and the man who thinks he can't are both right. And so mm-hmm. that uh, developing that core conviction of of self belief and what you can accomplish. 
pick your heart, right? You know, I either believe I can do it and I'm going to grind through what it takes to do it, or I don't think I can do it and I'm going to and I'm going to experience the pains of not accomplishing or not changing or not winning. But either either path is hard, so pick that hard. And the third, I think, is more practical. Just like when you're if you're trying to build a business, like really try to build a tribe, build um, no pun intended with my original company name, but it's more about like really really know your niche, know who you serve, know the ins and outs of their business. When you know that, like you can have an infinite amount of businesses, infinite amount of offers, infinite amount of success inside of a space. So yeah, hopefully that's golden. Yeah. If not golden, at least it was It was good stuff, man. This was a real good conversation. And again, I just thank you for being here with me today. Of course, man. man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.